This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back, everyone. This is the second half of SiriusXM's Bay Area Ventures. Uh, we're broadcasting, as usual, live from the campus of Wharton San Francisco. It's nice weather here. We got a break between storms. I'm your host, Doug Collum. Uh, for everybody just tuning in, this show is about entrepreneurship and startups and venture capital. We do focus principally on companies and people who are based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you've got a question, you can join us. You can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So in the second hour, we are joined by a another fintech company, if you will. Um, uh, our guest is Josh Levin, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Open Invest, which is a fascinating company. I've got a lot of interesting questions. So welcome, Josh. It's great to have you on board. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here. So just briefly, what is Open Invest? What does the company do? Sure. So as you said, we're a fintech startup. We're also a registered investment advisor. We're in the wealth management space. And what we've done is um, we've made it very easy for investors to incorporate their personal values across their investments. So maybe you don't want weapons in your portfolio and you care a lot about gender diversity. Traditionally, if you tried to do that either online or you went to your investment advisor or wherever your provider is, they would tell you, you can't do that. And they would probably make up some excuse. You're going to eat yeah. your shirt, right? And there's a whole host of reasons that they would push back on that. But it ultimately comes down to the underlying technology and the way those services are delivered. And so we've reinvented that underlying supply chain to make it extremely easy for those client-specific values to be passed through the chain and for portfolios to be smartly reconstructed so that they retain the financial characteristics and goals of the investor, yeah. but seamlessly overlay the investor's values as well. So it's, I mean, if there's coinage, it's like ethical investing or, I mean, what, how would you characterize sure, invest, investing with a social purpose? Well, it, traditionally it was called socially responsible investing. So we've made socially responsible investing easy. Okay, got it. I mean, yeah. that, that helps. I was just trying to get a... Uh, a handle on it. So sure. your background. So y this is not your, you come out of a wide variety of experiences and, and positions. So maybe you can spend a few minutes talking about that. Sure. It's definitely my first rodeo in the startup space, but I've been in this socially responsible investing world and impact investing world for about a decade. Prior to this, I spent the last six years at the World Wildlife Fund. Where, where is that geographically? So WWF, the panda, people recognize the yeah. logo. Apparently, I think I'd heard it was the ninth most recognized logo in the world or something. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everyone's heard of it, I'm sure. Yeah. So the U.S. office is located in Washington, D.C., but I was actually based in New York for them because I was managing our relationships with banks and investors. So people know them as pandas, tigers, conservation, but there's actually a huge branch of their work that is engaging the corporate sector to try and make positive change in terms of sustainability. So what was your role there? Because I, I assume that's relevant to what you're doing here at Open Oh, it Invest. is. Yeah. I was essentially a lobbyist from this organization to Wall Street and trying to convince them to, when they look at their portfolios, all the very impactful corporate practices you can imagine yeah. from mining to agriculture to logging there's good and bad ways to do these things they that the real economy so these those types of companies they're operating within two frameworks one is governance and regulation and the other is financial so the idea is regulation typically lags by something like 20 years and so if you really want to have change at scale uh, a great way to address them is by engaging their financiers so that can be through the conditions that banks put on their loans through the lending and investing thresholds for the oh, decision making risk management you mm -hmm. go to the source of capital we go to the source of and capital say, look you can you can be a, a part of the problem or part of the solution yeah and we show them a lot of data around even risk related to climate change water etc reputational risk as well and uh, when these folks make policy changes or changes in their approaches, this has a platform level effect across the economy. So how effective were you, not you, Josh, but how mm -hmm. effective has the Wildlife Fund been at, you know, changing the direction of these financial super tankers? Yeah. So we, 
I would say we won a lot of battles and I can go into some of the biggest successes. Uh, overall, I felt we were losing the war and that's generally true across the environmental movement. Yeah. Um, but how I characterize it is there have been a lot of significant changes. You might even say transformations in the real economy around sustainability. So take food, fashion, consumer goods. There have been uh, huge shifts in how these supply chains are managed in terms of mm -hmm. knowing where your materials are coming from, both from a social standpoint, and, um, slave labor, uh, sweatshops, but also around deforestation, um, responsibly produced products. You, know, you don't see a lot of these necessarily as a consumer because it's happening in palm oil, cotton, forestry, soy, very unsexy things. Yeah. But a key ingredient in driving those changes in the economy has been hearing from end consumers. So the rise of social awareness and people pressuring their brands to do the right thing has caused a lot of changes in the real economy. I saw in finance, the, we are missing uh, a corollary in terms of the end consumers of finance. So that's you, me, your yep. friends, your yep. family, your pension, your 401k. Um, have not been asking questions and have not been demanding similar changes. So we have a culture of throw our money over the wall and don't ask questions. Yeah, that's hope you could, hope yeah, you can yeah, hopefully yeah. you can retire someday. Yeah. Um, and so all the data sets, all the summits, all the convenings, all the you know all the stuff in the world is not is I think unlikely to really move the needle on at scale in Wall Street until we're also hearing from the end financial consumers because mm -hmm. in the day it's your money. These guys are just your agents. Yeah, they're right. just. That, and they'll tell you that. And that, so that, I think that was the dialogue that really spurned that for me is we, you know, I, I was personally advising about a dozen of the world's largest banks on integrating environmental data and risk management. And they would say, wow, we love this stuff. It's great. And we'd like to do more of it, but you know, we're just intermediaries. We can't really do this stuff until we're actually hearing from our customers. Um, now I didn't know that I would be working on solving that problem. I knew somebody had to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was very active in my mind when, um, you know, if I segue a little bit into how this company started. Yeah, I was going to ask what you know, brought you to, I mean, you said you, you made the move to open investment. And that's, is that when you moved from New York to the Bay Area? I had moved to the Bay Area uh, a, a year and a half maybe prior. Yeah. Um, my wife transferred her PhD program from Columbia to Cal, and I always wanted to be out here. So yeah. I made the case, and I was so and I was working better, remotely for better days. weather too. Yeah, so actually, just up the street, like a block or two from here, is the WWF office. Oh, okay. in California, yeah. very small. Oh, so you, you continued your role at WWF, that World, World Wildlife Fund, yep. here in San Francisco. Yep, that oh, was right okay. for, for a yep. little for a yep. little bit. Um. But I got talking to the two other co-founders at Open Investor. Open Invest. yeah. so that was Connor Murray and Phil Way. Okay. And I had known Connor Murray personally for about 15 years. We were old friends back from living together in Cambridge in Boston mm -hmm. after college uh, or living nearby and you know doing what you do in your 20s, hanging yeah. out, partying, doing all that stuff. Never thought we'd work together. You know, he had a, was pursuing a hardcore finance uh, career track and I was very idealistic and going to nonprofit and doing all these things. And so a little on them. So Connor and Phil met each other working together at Bridgewater Associates, which is what it's the world's largest hedge fund. It's based okay. in Westport, Connecticut. And, um, it's recently become quite famous because of the unique culture that is cultivated by Ray Dalio, the founder and CEO. Okay. And he wrote a book called principles, which has definitely been making the rounds in Silicon Valley. You go into VC shops, it's sitting on the coffee tables. Oh, huh, okay. Um, so you met up with these guys. So I met up with these guys, and they were um, they were looking to do something more meaningful and impactful as well. And they thought that meant having to get out of finance entirely. Uh, you know, they'd only seen the traditional side of Wall Street, and they had achieved, I would say, essentially the top of their fields from a tech as right. a technologist perspective Been there done that now let's do something more. Yeah. Like how do we, yeah, yeah, exactly. And as many people in my generation, I'm sure everybody would want this, but many people in my generation feel that it's possible and therefore they want to go do something that in their career that feels impactful, right? Yeah. Uh, socially impactful. Uh, so they, and they'd always dreamt of starting a startup together 
Phil way you're, you're in the Bay Area. Well, in general, so Phil, um, so Phil left. So Bridgewater, this hedge fund has basically three main desks, as I understand it. There's a research research side doing macroeconomic research. Yeah. There is portfolio construction. Now this is going to be very relevant into the background I'm giving you on Bridgewater becomes very relevant in terms of our firm and what we do. Yep. Okay. And, and yep. the, the connecting thing is Connor and Phil. So there's research, there's portfolio management, and there's trading. So Connor was there for about a decade and led teams building their software-based rules, rules-driven portfolio construction and management systems. So if you go to Bridgewater, it's got a $500 million minimum. No one's putting you in a Vanguard fund. These are big, big dollars. Yeah. yeah. And it's all software. It's no, no one with stock tips. It's all software rules translating from the research desk, buying and transacting individual securities on behalf of the you know, investors in the yeah. fund. And so he participated in one wave of building that system and then led teams developing the next two waves of those systems. So how does that dial in to open investment? Yeah. So yeah. then Con, uh, the last one, so Phil on the trading side built, he and one other guy built the system that does all their trading of equities and derivatives on okay. a trading system. So they left, they thought, okay, we got to leave wall street. They were, they, and let's move to California and start a startup. And so they moved to California. They spent about six months ideating and looking at VR drones, all this, but they couldn't get away from this unique competency they had in finance. And so I got talking to them and I exposed to them this whole world, still relatively niche of socially responsible investing, values informed investing. A lot of it was traditionally religious. And we realized when we put our heads together that some of the same types of systems and background that had been building. At Bridgewater could be applied to a much broader segment of investors to allow them to have customization um, and to deliver that at scale. Basically, how do you create a rules-based investing platform? And, and to enable the individual investors to to direct the investment towards socially responsible causes? Yes, that they care about. So instead of the signals coming from a thousand signals from the research desk to generate yeah. outperformance. Yeah. In our case, how can we deliver market returns? So what we call beta or passive investing, like you would get with a Vanguard fund or whatever, right. yeah. control for that performance while incorporating client-specific rules. So what Doug cares about is different from the next person, the next person. Yeah. Intake all of those rules in real time and dynamically manage and rebalance portfolios um, on behalf of those clients. So it's what we're doing at the end of the day, and I'm sure we'll get this, is essentially disrupting the fund manager and that whole ecosystem and cutting out those costs. So um, we don't invest via funds. We have a software layer that skips the fund manager and buys up all the underlying stocks that would be in those funds and applies all of our data and rules to actually generate a portfolio that's like a fund, but it's running just for you. So it's like you have Doug's customized S&P 500. So can you, I mean, just to move this conversation Mm -hmm. What are some of the causes that you've identified that that Open Invest has identified um, as you know key to the mission? I mean, can you identify? Something? So our mission, by the way, is to use technology to enable everyone to apply their values to their investments. Yeah. So in principle, we're agnostic. We have no red lines, the things that we won't facilitate. Okay, but, okay. yeah, um, that's helpful. So we've launched, a, we have a number of themes that people can choose from, they can mix and match based on, primarily on the research on what are the most popular issues, such as uh, environment and climate change, gender diversity, LGBTQ rights, divesting from weapons, um, tobacco. All, there's about a dozen for, for retail investors, someone who just comes to our website, signs up, there's about a dozen that we put forward. And we could do way more. We just don't want to overwhelm people. But as you say, you don't redline them. I mean, if I come in and say, hey, I want to invest in exclusively in oil and gas companies, I can do that. So our target market in retail is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's people without special financial knowledge. They should not be doing thematic investing. They need a broadly diversified portfolio. Right. So we are these themes are not the same as thematic investing. So we're not investing someone in just a sector. We're actually replicating a broad diversified portfolio, um, but allowing you to overlay things that you care about. So you may come in and say, okay, I care about gender and the environment. Now in the market before us, what you would have to do is go out and buy say a gender fund and a green mutual fund. 
These would be very expensive. And when you put them together, um, for example, what guess what sector has the most female CEOs? It's the oil sector. So there's, and oh. you have con conflicts the other way. So you yeah. have a bunch of ethical conflicts, plus you'd have a bunch of financial over, you probably have hold way too much healthcare technology. It's financially incoherent. Yeah. So that's the core thing that we've solved for is the ability that people care about more than one thing and you should be able to do it cheaply. Right. So, and, that, and also achieve your, your desired market return. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we're not, we don't, no one's coming on here to stock pick or pick sectors or things like that. Yeah. There, most people don't know, uh, about, you know, finance and shouldn't be making those decisions. And even, you know, they shouldn't be stock picking and we don't facilitate that. So we engage people in what they care about. And then our systems take care of portfolio construction to help them meet their goals. Huh, interesting. So for people just dialing in, I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Josh Levin, who's the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Open Invest, which is a, a digital investing platform that addresses people's interest in supporting social causes if i can short yeah. capture you're out way. protesting this weekend you're yeah. on facebook you're talking about this but a lot of people don't realize that uh, you know what unless you live in a swing state probably the most powerful tool you're going to have in your life if you have some money is going to be what you do with your assets yeah that's that's well put so um so when was OpenVest established? When was the company founded? So the company was founded in 2015. Yeah. Uh, it started in Y Combinator, in the famous incubator. Oh, yeah. Very mm -hmm. well known. Yes. Um, I was actually an advisor at that point. Connor and Phil, my co-founders, came in the YC very early. They had, they had a general sector they wanted to work in. They were admitted based on their backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, as I advised them and we honed in on the specific product concept... Then I came in full time just after they graduated from YC, and I left my job. So they recruited WWF. you. They said, "Josh, you got to get in on this. We're ready to pull the cord." Uh, we, you know, we negotiated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was uh, kind of working two jobs just before that. I was really engaged in what they were doing. I was really excited. I mean, uh, Connor and Phil are two of the smartest people I know, and I like to think I know a lot of smart people. So yeah. it's the opportunity to work with them, to work with friends, to work on something that leverages my background and doesn't just make help you sleep at night but i actually believe that at scale uh, we can have a historic change uh in the trajectory of our you know our civilization i truly believe that and so it felt like a once in a lifetime so, opportunity so give me a snapshot of open invest how many employees where is it how much money has the company raised today it's venture mm -hmm. backed i understand yep so we started in 2015 our largest investor is andreessen horowitz uh, who came in in our seed round. And then we recently closed a Series A led by QED. Mm -hmm. And those are basically the founders of Capital One. So in total, we've raised uh, nearly 15 million. Yep. We're based in downtown San Francisco. How many employees? We're about 20 people total. Um, about a dozen of whom are in San Francisco and others are all over the world. Uh, we're mostly engineers and technical folks. So so is it, it's, again... From a business standpoint, is this the kind of company that requires a big buildup of employees in order to achieve the goals, or can it, it because it's uh, it's investment advising using automated platforms and so forth? Is it a sort of company that can remain small in terms of headcount? That's a great question. Right now, I consider it a relatively fat startup as opposed to a lean startup. Yeah, uh, the idea is that. I'd say in the mid-range, we don't have to scale staff in the same way that a large traditional player would mm -hmm. because it's all software-driven. Yep. But to get over the initial hump, at least in wealth management, our space and financial services, you need a fair number of people. It's highly regulated. You're interacting with markets because we're actually doing trading. We have discretion. There's a whole lot of specialized skills and a lot of operational people that are necessary to do that right. Um and we're essentially building a relatively vertically we we're, it's not a free app kind of thing you know it's the disruption that we're doing is taking out multiple rungs in an existing value chain and so we're building software integrations at multiple levels it's like if you were going to go try to replace a bunch of, a, a market with a bunch of pc components with a single 
iPod or iPhone, right? So we're creating a single like hard hardware software vertically integrated system. There's a lot of building to do. So if I were if I were interested, so let's take um so something topical. So the White House published on Friday a mm. a, a climate report which, mm -hmm. with uh, some pretty damning information. Sure. And let's say um I want to. I want to pursue this. So if I were on my own and not knowing about a company like Open Invest, you know, let's say I go to uh, Morgan Stanley and say, hey, I, I really would like to support companies that do, that are conscientious about climate change and global warming and rising ocean levels and so forth. What would their response be? And then what would the response be from Open Invest? I'm still trying to get a handle on how it is that you guys compete against all these other, you know, mainstream brokers and investment advisors. Mm -hmm. So the space we're in, the market we're in is growing. And so a lot of those big players like Morgan Stanley quite recently launched basic products in this space. So your advisor at Morgan Stanley, I don't know all the funds that are on their platform, okay, but yeah. they would put you, try and put you into like a green fund, a green yeah. mutual fund. Which traditionally those which is a pre-constructed a pre-constructed fixed basket yeah. that would traditionally cost between 0.8 percent and two percent per year, very expensive of, of your investment, yeah, of your investment plus the advisor fee that your Morgan Stanley advisor is going to charge you, right. which is maybe another one percent. Yeah, um, so you know the power of compound interest, right? That yeah. adds up very very quickly. Um, you, if you look under the hood in that fund, you're not necessarily going to like what you see. So it may hold various oil companies like Occidental Petroleum or others that are doing somewhat better compared to their peers. Um, but maybe not the companies you'd exactly like to put money into. Yeah. And then maybe it holds a bunch of gun stocks. So it depends yeah. how, whether it's trying to be broad or not. Okay. Um, but as this space moves from niche to early mainstream, which is what's happening in socially responsible investing right now, yeah. people are starting to look under the hood. And they're not liking what they see. So now I come to Open Invest, mm -hmm. and I come, you know, to I mean, to explain so to me partner, the steps. So how we, do I do? How how do I approach Open Invest? So let's take the let's take this use case as you're coming to an advisor that we're partnered with, because we also work we back end human okay. advisors. Okay. So it's most comparable to Morgan Stanley. So you would that advisor has a already a, an allocation mix, financial allocation mix that they would probably use for you. Maybe they would want to put you in 40%, S&P 500, 20% emerging markets. They have their standard mix. And then you come in and you say, okay, well, I don't, you know, these are my personal preferences. That advisor would whip out an iPad or they go back to their desk and we have uh, an app for them where they are inputting your specific values. They're also inputting which funds or their allocation mix, their, their normal work, and they would generate a model portfolio in real time. It would spit out a model portfolio. So it would start with, a, as I say, a pre-constructed basket of securities, but yeah. then you could rapidly customize that to ad address my personal interests and needs. Is that how you're... Yeah. So let me actually give you a use case. I think they'll answer a lot of this. Okay. Let's suppose you're already invested with us and you have a fund that is uh, is tracking the S&P 500 mm -hmm. whether, you know, through your advisor or whatever. And then you wake up tomorrow and it turns out you were scammed by Wells Fargo. You're one of the 3 million customers yep. that are creating fake accounts for. Now, any major index fund, US index fund, is holding a, a bunch of Wells Fargo, including any socially responsible one. Um, but you don't want to hold Wells Fargo because they just ripped you off and yeah. you're pissed off and this doesn't feel like a good company. In the past, it would have been impossible to take Wells Fargo out of one. No one's going to sell an S&P 500 minus Wells Fargo fund, right? But if you're a retail customer, you just take your iPhone or whatever, you swipe it out on your portfolio or you tell your advisor it's two clicks for the advisor. Our system doesn't then just strip Wells Fargo out of the portfolio. It'll instantly break apart the entire portfolio and it will tr change the weightings of say a dozen other stocks that are correlated with Wells Fargo mm -hmm. across a variety of financial vectors, their size, their sector, their international exposure, et cetera, et cetera, to restore you, Doug, to tracking the performance of the market, but you no longer hold Wells Fargo. Yeah. Okay. The same thing applies to whole sectors, to favoring positive things that you like, taking out negative things. And so what it's opening up is almost a new asset class where you have active engagement with the client. You can weigh in on the things you know and you care about, politics, environment, society, 
Whereas the software will abstract away the financial complexity so that you don't distort your portfolio so that you continue to have the same, by and large, the same financial performance. Um, so that's the idea. So let me ask a related question, which is um, some of the press that I looked at described Open Invest as a robo advisor, mm -hmm. which means that to me that signifies that a fair amount of what the company does is automated in order to make it more efficient. But it, you also talked just then about a back end where you can actually contact, you can talk to a real human being and, <coughs> excuse me, and talk about your particular interests and so forth. So how, how do you characterize the automation versus the personal component? Right. So by the way, if anyone out there has a startup and you want to get a lot of press, make sure you have a retail channel. Um, so the retail channel selling directly to consumers is one of several channels that we operate in. And it was the first one for us. So that's what you would call a robo advisor, meaning that instead of going to Vanguard or Fidelity or wherever else, um, and especially for mass market for normal folks, yep. they're all putting you in the same standard portfolio. So what a bunch of companies have figured out, including ours, is that you can automate that and you can therefore thereby save people money. And some of the really famous ones are Wealthfront, Betterment. Since oh, then, okay. yeah. Vanguard yeah. and Schwab have launched their own and unleashed that on their client base, which makes them the largest players in the robo-advisory space. Mm -hmm. And we have a really awesome robo-advisor too, which you can download from uh, the App Store or Google Play. But ours has a bunch of features that the others don't because uh, the other folks are replacing the human advisor, but then they just stick you into some funds. They'll put you into Vanguard funds or whatever. Yep. We're not putting people in the funds. We actually, that's what I mean by the vertical integration. So we control the front end and we control the layers underneath that. Uh, so we are managing the portfolios. We're constructing it. And that allows us to unleash a bunch of features that are uh, otherwise impossible in the robo-advisor space, including not only the customization, but for example, these companies have votes every year. On shareholder all kinds meetings. of shareholder meetings yeah. where they vote on all kinds of stuff. And typically you get one vote for every share that you own. Right. And nobody votes uh, except the very, very huge institutional shareholders. Like you get paper packets in the mail, but nobody opens them. Re retail very rarely votes on sure. any of this stuff. Sure. Yeah. So, but because, and most retail investors are invested through funds and the fund manager votes on their behalf. We've created a system so that our users just only get alerts when a vote comes up on something they would care about. For example, you're a vegetarian and Coach Incorporated is having a vote on where to keep using animal fur in their products. That's a real thing. That was a vote last year. Nobody voted, but I would think that people would actually be pretty excited to engage if they care about that issue. Yeah, no Because kidding. you're literally sure. telling the CEO what yeah. to do. Um, so you get an alert on your phone. It, you get a one-sentence summary. You can swipe it as easy as a dating yeah. app and move on to the next one. And uh, so the point is, yeah. this is a, it's a personalized service that you guys have created. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And so we do that directly to retail customers. We partner or we back end human financial advisors, yeah. which are typically a little more upmarket because they're providing a lot of other services that we can't, you know, take care of tax management and estate planning, all that. Yeah. Um, and then we also sell directly to institutions like foundations, endowments. Uh, family offices, et cetera. So how do you, you've, you've only been on the on the grid for three years, right? Yeah. So how do you market? I mean, this is, it's kind of a double layer of complexity or challenge, if you will. I know, part, it sucks, doesn't in it? In part because <laughs> it, there, it sounds like there's a big consumer component, especially by people who are, you know, people who have causes and they do want to make conscien sure. uh, con conscientious investments. And, but also because you're... Um, you know, you're trying to address it. It's an area that's not normal. I mean, it's, it's outside the mainstream of financial investing. It's social, it's socially responsive investing. So it's a double whammy. You've got to not only get to the consumer, but you've got to get to a very particular kind of consumer. Yeah, I would consider this, you know, we're sitting in a business school right now, yeah. kind of a blue, blue ocean strategy. So we have very few competitors right now. Uh, but the trade-off is we have to do a lot of the education of consumers. We have to get them over multiple humps. And I can tell you, uh, you cannot do that and succeed directly to retail. So 
out of, we want everyone to be able to use our products. We want them to be able to come to our website and, you know, have these solutions for themselves. We're not just, just trying to help rich people or big institutions, but you actually can't get the ROI. You can't get the return on any advertising yeah. spend in consumer markets because of the level of educational gap, unfortunately, in our society. First of all, they don't have a lot of assets compared to wealthy folks. That's the yep. stratification. Yep. Um, and people don't know much about finance. And so uh, that's fine. We're happy to educate them and we stand behind our products. But the problem is you're competing against noise. And anyone can make any claim. Most people approach investing because they got some stock tip from a friend. Yep, yep. Um, and so combined with their small balances, you simply cannot get a return on an advertising spend in that market. Now, the other big friction is that it's very regulated. So this is not like downloading the Yelp app and creating a username and password. You have to go through about four pages of form fields so that they make sure you're not funneling money to Al Qaeda or whatever else, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Anti-money laundering, et cetera. Yeah. So <laughs> given people's attention span, um, all those things combined, that's, that's the reality. And it's been the reality for all the robo-advisors. This has played out in the market now, and it's now considered truth essentially in Silicon Valley that, that retail play in wealth management is not befitting for venture capital dollars because the you know in 10 years 20 years everyone will be doing it but it's not going to play out in the next couple of years so we're definitely going to come back to this we're going to take a short break i'm doug Collum. our guest this hour is josh levin co-founder and chief strategy officer at open invest um, you're listening to bay area ventures on business radio channel sirius xm 132 Welcome back, everyone. This is Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's Business Radio. I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Josh Levin, co-founder and, and chief strategy officer at Open Invest, which is a fintech company. It's a digital investment advisor that supports socially responsible investing. So it's a, it's a very unique company. And as we left off, you know, we were talking about how one goes about of how one differentiates between a company like Vanguard or Morgan Stanley or or you know the major investment advisors and a company like Open Invest, where you can effectively customize um, and direct your investments to any particular cause that that is of keen interest to you, and that's I think what makes Open Invest unique. It's also it sounds like it has a pretty interesting or a differentiating technology that enables this customization. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that mm -hmm. I think that that came across. How do you guys make money? So we charge a percentage of the assets under management, which So it's the same MVP, same classic same model. structure. Yep. Yeah, we've gotten paid some flat fees for integrations, but by and large. And is it competitive with with the mainstream investment it's advisors less who expensive. are out there? Less expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's another uh, competitive differentiator that serves your interest well we don't need tens of thousands of people to run it yeah it's all all software driven yeah okay um you'd be amazed you'd be amazed i mean i'm just constantly learning one story after another of the level of inefficiency the size of uh these organizations i, I was talking to one bank and this you know after a meeting the guy comes up he says because one of the big problems we hit is we often, our partnerships start in the executive suite with big banks and they, with full buy-in, they, we got to do this. Yeah. And they can't actually figure out operationally how to tie us in because the legacy systems they're sitting on, it'll be the result of 16 acquisitions, merger of two broker dealers. You know, I had one bank, the guy came up to me after and he said, you don't understand. We've got 50,000 employees here. The majority of them are just doing data reconciliation. Just supporting the infrastructure. Just cleaning up the data that's coming out the back end because it's all a mess as it flows through all these sausage making machines. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So where do you see Open Invest going? I mean, it sounds like it's it's a it's a company whose time has come. You know, uh, we we've definitely got uh, very we're very fortunate with the timing. I'll say that. Our, yeah. You know, one of our main VCs at QED said he's. He said, timing is usually negative or neutral for the companies they invest in. He's never seen better timing. Yeah. I mean, given the current political environment, 
a company like Open Invest strikes me as being like perfect. Sure. So if we screw up, it's just all the more our fault. Yeah. Um, where are we going? So, yes, we have a very big vision for the company. Um, we see a m- major shift in financial services and wealth management uh, on the horizon. It's coming from social trends and consciousness, but also just from technology. Uh, most fundamentally, so I will share where we're going from a business perspective and then also from an impact perspective. Okay, yeah, from I'm a good. business perspective, uh, right now, the primary mode of operating is someone puts together a fund, takes, they do a bunch of research, all kinds of overhead, put it through a whole regulatory process, yep. costs a lot of money, and then you just ram it out through all of your channels as much as possible to get scale, and that's your margin. And it makes a ton of money. When you're someone like Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley, you have 16,000 advisors. They have discretion over all the accounts, so they can put all their rich clients into any product, anytime. And so that's what they're doing. They're ramming these products out. Um, in the future, when tra- as transaction costs, so you go to Scott Trade or whatever, you're paying seven bucks. Those are all going to zero. Um, and all this infrastructure is emerging. And the question is, what does the world look like then? And it's not buying funds. So there's a post-fund paradigm coming in wealth management. So what does that mean? That means that in the future, in five years from now, you're not going to go to Morningstar or wherever else or E-Trade and pick three to five mutual funds and ETFs and put them together and say, you know, here, honey, here's my portfolio. Uh, and even worse, you're not going to pay someone to do that. You're going to be just renting software from the cloud. And you're going to say, my name's Doug. This is when I'm retiring. This is my income. These are the things I care about. These are my goals. And it's going to be automatically buying and transacting and consistently re-optimizing on your behalf in the stock market and across asset classes to achieve, you reflect your goals and, and your situation as well as your personal values. And to do that- It's like a one-stop shop. It's a one-stop shop. And, and to it's do totally that, automated. There's a black box that basically does all boom. the analysis, the research, and it spit what it spits out is exactly what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah. And so to vastly oversimplify, because there's a lot of regulatory layers- Helps me to understand this, it, though. To vastly oversimplify, yeah. so the average American investor right now has up to 16, like if you're a pensioner, you have yeah. 16 intermediaries between you and the actual corporates you own, the stocks. And there's about a hundred fees in that chain and it's just eating away at your retirement and all there really needs to be. And this is what's coming is there's going to be you, a piece of software, and then the the stock market, the corporates, and it's going to be operating in the stock market on your behalf. That's where things are going. And so an open investors on that. We've built that. So we've built the whole infrastructural layer for a post fund paradigm shift. The use cases that we're focused on, uh, primarily are people's values in corporation. And this is the classic disruptive innovation model because mm-hmm. um, you are unlikely to move your money to us just because it's gonna it's actually a lower cost. Believe it or not, people don't move money in finance to, because of lower costs or a lot of very rational reasons. They do move money because of irrational or so-called irrational things because you're a vegan and why the hell would you own all these slaughterhouses in your portfolio yeah, or yeah. you're out protesting? Why are you That's something to get excited about. Yes. Yeah. And that's the theory at least that you would actually, that's where you would actually move to what is overall a better solution. Yeah. And so that is the segment we're built around. Now, when we get to this post fund future where you don't have 16 intermediaries in the chain, it's also going to be a lot easier to anyone to reflect your values. If you go on the street and you say, hey, I'm going to give you a button, you press this button, there's going to be no human trafficking anywhere in you know your investments. And it's not going to cost you anything. And it's not going to change any of your performance when you hit the button. Everyone's going to hit the button. So at the end of the day, we're just giving out these yeah. buttons. That's where the world's going. Now, I'm kind of already segued into the vision perspective, um, the impact. The impact. Yeah. So- there is, uh, we see ourselves building nothing short of the first global democracy. The global democracy already exists. It's not in politics. It's in capital markets. These corporations are the most powerful entities on the planet, besides the U.S. federal government. After that, they're the most powerful entities on the planet. Um, in many cases, they have captured their own regulators. They employ hundreds of thousands of people. They're cutting down forests. They're planting forests. And they're only growing, right? Amazon's going to take over everything. Yeah. But the good news is they're socialized. We, can, we own them. 
They're completely owned by you and your family and your friends and all of your colleagues. And those CEOs actually work for you. They report to you and they are awaiting your commands. And so between new media and the new types of investment technologies that we're building, there's no reason in the future that all the shareholders of Apple can't be having a conversation about what their company should be doing. And that will happen. That's where we're going. So, so let me ask a related question, which mm -hmm. I think it gets at this question about impact and how much traction is actually occurring in this industry, in yeah. this space. So how much of what you do Josh is evangelizing as opposed to, uh, it's not, not the right word, as opposed to selling. I mean, how much of it, were, uh, of your effort is going into creating the case f for you should steer your money to us because we can do, we can do wonderful things for you both financially and socially or social cause wise. I mean, do you do, do you still find that you're spending more time evangelizing than basically saying, Hey, we're open invest you know, how much money would you like to invest in this? Um, most of the selling that I do now would you characterize as business development. Yeah. So it's more partnerships. Okay. So it's got a bit of evangelizing and let's yeah. open up, let's open up the tech specs. Let's talk about yeah. integration. We do have um, a sales team and we're growing our sales team, but they are selling more to say small and medium foundations, endowments to advisors, yeah. these okay. other channels who no, none of these folks had access to this ability, the, the ability to customize at low cost before either. Yeah. Um, but those are larger pools of money and it's a different sales process than going on the front page of Google. Yep. So for people just, just joining us, uh, our guest this hour is Josh Levin, the chief strategy officer and co-founder of Open Invest, which is a, a, a digital investing platform that enables socially responsible investing. I want to I want to shift gears here and talk about. I'm gonna, I'm going to steal that. That's going to be my new elevator pitch. That's you got good. Down to That's good. I five words. It. I think. Um, so you've got some you've got some interesting institutional investors. YC is well known. Mm -hmm. Y Combinator, which is a well known accelerator that now has probably the, the best brand as an accelerator in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you've got Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the top tier players on Sand Hill Road. Truly an institutional investor. And you've got uh, there's one other group. QED. QED. So they're considered to have the best, at least by Andreessen Horowitz, the best portfolio in fintech. It's in fintech. all fintech, and it was started by the founders of Capital One Bank. Okay, so here's what's interesting, and this is not, it's a, it's a random data point. So I've been, I've been hosting on um, Bay Area Ventures for maybe four years now, and maybe 80 to 100 guests over the course of that time frame. I have a co-host, and there are other co-hosts on this program. Open Invest is the only the second company that's come through that is a public benefit corporation, mm. which means that from a technical or legal standpoint, the, the obligations of the company are not directed just to shareholders, which is the typical, by far and away, mainstream practice where you have a, a Delaware subchapter C corporation and you know the, the obligations of the board of directors are to maximize profits for shareholders in a PBC, a public benefit corporation, the obligation is not just shareholders, it's other constituencies, which mm -hmm. is employees, the environment, customers, uh, it could be any of a wide range of obligations that the board is legally charged to look out for. Mm -hmm. So when you're, and you're part of the fundraising process, Josh, I mean, you, you're of the 14 million or 15 million that's been raised to date. You're in there. Yeah, I mean, you're basically helping yep. to do this. What is the reaction that traditional institutional VCs like Andreessen Horowitz and like QED Partners, what's their reaction to this? It's a, it's a different beast that's coming, and, and you're asking them to write checks to support mm -hmm. a financial mission and a social mission. Yeah, so to be honest, the structure the legal structure hasn't actually come up that much it has not it's I was more been the, maybe the mission yeah overall um i think folks understand that we're a startup and generally view us similarly um as others the the key thing to the public to me with the public benefit corporation is that it puts you 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 write your mission everyone knows and it goes into your legal charter and it means that 
let's say we IPO or whatever, our shareholders actually can't sue us if we plow some of our revenue into our mission, into the public good, instead of just paying dividends or investing in future growth. And so right. it protects us to pursue that mission. Um, but does it, does it, does it inhibit us? I mean, on the flip side, so uh, an interesting thing was um, maybe eight years ago, I think, Mark Andreessen, one of the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, yeah. had a kind of famous disparaging quote about impact investing, which is another way of describing yeah. what we do. Um, I think it was you, impact investing is like a houseboat. It's neither a good house nor a good boat. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I saw our partner in Andreessen Horowitz up at a, speaking at a conference recently, and he said, he said at this, he spoke to the whole crowd and said, "I will no longer finance early stage companies, at least in San Francisco, that don't have a world changing mission. You can't even attract engineers. You can't compete." Boy, for and talent. that is, that is a huge statement. I mean, it does characterize there is a sea change that seems to be going on across the startup community in in the Bay Area for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the like if it's really the deciding factor to attract talent, but it. It makes sense. I mean, I think that um, left and right, how many people around you in your circles are just frustrated at their jobs and complaining about not feeling like they're doing something that's meaningful to them? But let me let me press the point because at yeah. the end of the day, and I'm not, I don't want to focus on Andreessen Horowitz, but any institutional VC firm, they have limited partners, and their limited partners are looking for a financial return. Yeah. So, so are we? So. And Andreessen Horowitz steps in and says, okay, we're going to put some money into Open Invest. It's a company that does socially responsible mm -hmm. investing. And we are they expecting a lesser return on their investment into Open Invest than in a than in a subchapter C Delaware corporation that's you know not socially responsible in their outlook? No, no, are, no, not at all. I mean, I still, think they're looking as steely eyed as you at you as they are for any of their other portfolio. This companies. is not the risk. That, so, someone like Andreessen Horowitz, by the way, they're making huge bets. So it's yeah. they are looking for something that is essentially world change, or actually, as our partner put it. Uh, actually, I remember asking him now during the investment process if it was a concern. And he said, no, big vision equals big market. And so Interesting. they only they make money when we get you know a 60x return. Yeah. When we become the next you know, Google or whatever. And um, anything that furthers that out, outside kind of outlier uh, upside is what they're looking for. And so given certainly the products and services that we're selling and – we can substantiate that to our stakeholders through our legal status. I think that they just see that as furthering um, the big, the the big picture mission because they make money on the big picture being successful, not on the minutia. So tell me about your job as the chief strategy officer. What does that mean exactly? We don't. Um, there haven't been that many guests. I was very self conscious about this title, yeah. especially when we were say four or five people and we have a chief strategy. Why is a four or five person? You, know, <laughs> you need a chief strategy officer. I do do strategy, by the way. Uh, I'm basically the MBA MBA guy on the team. Okay. Um, and I love that part, but my co-founders. I'm very fortunate. They're technical co-founders, so they. You know, we're writing code now. They're managing engineers, um, and our exceptional managers. I take care of all that irrational human stuff. So, <laughs> external stuff. <laughs> I'm joking, but um, Connor's so, a much better manager. So, so you're people facing as opposed to I'm people facing. So I yeah. take care of all business development, partnerships, uh, strategy, and most of the front lines of fundraising. Uh, we actually we have a bit of a, and thought leadership. So I speak at conferences and all these things. So. To be honest, for one, if you're going to walk into a sales business development situation, people are much more interested to hear from the chief strategy officer than the like head of sales. Right? Yeah, for sure. Like, where's uh, this thing going? Yeah. So, but but um, when I when I was trying to decide on the title, I think I read something. I think it was an HBS, a Harvard Business Review thing. Um, the chief strategy officer can kind of be described as the right hand man or woman to the CEO. And he's the only one in the organization who can walk into a, a, a room, interrupt a meeting, and just walk in and say, "This stop this meeting is not in line with the strategy. And I thought, 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I like that. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, because you said at the very beginning of the program, you made the comment that um, this is the first time that you've stepped into a venture-backed company. Yeah. Do you like it? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's different than what you did at the World Wildlife Fund. Yeah, and I've started uh, I started uh, like a small classic small business before in my 20s and managed to sell that, but never in the the kind of scale and players and money and stuff that we're dealing with right now. Um Yeah, the learning curve is just immense. Uh I think that you, we all at least say that we want a lot of professional development and growth and learning yeah. through our jobs. And so, you know, strap in because it's the pace <laughs> of that is incredible. And so it can be very stressful or anxiety inducing or even depressing at times. For, for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I, mean, I think I, for anyone yeah, in the yeah, startup yeah, yeah. experience, certainly in the first time. Um, but then you look back, like any job, you look, you know, you look back on things in your job that stressed you out years ago and say, oh, that, you know, that'd be easy now. That's not a big deal. You know how to manage that. You know, for me, that speed is happening on a period of months. The the, the problems that I was solving three, four months ago that were flipping curve. me out yeah, are yeah. like, now I know the jargon. I know how it's done. I've talked to a bunch of different players. I figured it out. You know, it would always be a challenge, but I feel competent. And it's just the, the pace of it is incredible. So where do you spend most of your time? Um, most of my time has traditionally been outward facing business development uh, meaning trying, you know, working on partnerships, fielding those conversations and progressing yeah. those these, by partnerships and business development, as opposed to sales, these are big, sticky, hairy deals that are, each one is unique. It's not formulaic. It involves someone like me with my, you know, co-founder status, my level in the company, being able to make decisions on the fly in a meeting about, oh yes. Okay. We are willing to do that level of integration. Yep. And take on that amount of risk and cost to do this deal. It's different than a classic sales process. That's where I spend most of my time. Yeah. So, Josh, uh, we've got about maybe thirty seconds left. But mm. um, who do you go to? So, if if you have a a naughty business issue and you're not sure how you're gonna whether you're gonna zig or zag, do you have somebody you go to as a sounding board or a sanity check? Not necessarily involved in the company, but could be. Well, number one is the co-founders, we have a really nice three-legged stool of the company. We're all friends. We have zero founder drama, which is exceptional. Yep. Beyond that, it's been really the VC partners that we have. Great, great resources. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, beyond that, I found that I don't have the time, I don't have the bandwidth to take in all the advice that's being yeah. even, you know, offered us all the time. So it's kind of a tight, pretty tight-knit circle. We are out of time. Josh, it's been great. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Doug. Um, where can people go to learn more about OpenInvest? Go to OpenInvest.com. And it's uh, just one word, OpenInvest? Yep, one word. Or go to the, if you want to try it out yourself, go to the App Store or Google Play. Download, give it a go. It's Good. super slick. Great. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you've got a question about something you've heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Um, uh, once again, special thanks to our guest today. We had Josh, Jason Gardner from Marketa, and once again, Josh Levin from Open Invest. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 